like. I want to invite you at this time to join me in the book of Romans chapter 1. In our conference this weekend, you've heard sermons about two major spiritual disciplines. The first was the uh, spiritual discipline of Bible intake. What are the various ways that uh, we can take the Bible in? Uh, reading it, hearing God's Word, memorizing it, all these different things, as well as the discipline of prayer uh, last night. And you've no doubt been giving thought to the place of these things in your life as well as your personal walk with God. And even if you were here at nine o'clock with us this morning, maybe even to your responsibility to shepherd and lead your family in these matters. And I'm sure that there are those in this room this morning, there are some of you who you represent the weary and discouraged. and uh, You've maybe even given up. You might have a bit of a fatalistic attitude about all this. You know, I've tried. I, I can't ever seem to get in good habits with my Bible or prayer. It's just... It almost feels like a non-starter for me. It's just a constant struggle. And, and then maybe as well in this room, there would be the cold and the numb. I mean, you just don't care for whatever reason right now. Your heart is numb and cold and yeah, not a big deal, whatever. And then there are those of you and you sit here and you're feeling very challenged and motivated. You're thinking, hey, I'm in January of, of a new calendar year and I'm ready to get started and I'm excited about what lies ahead. And by God's grace, I hope this is going to be a really, really great year. And others of you, you're the excited and, and you're planners. And I mean, as you've heard message after message this weekend, you're coming up with your plan. I'm going to try to do this this year, and I'm going to try to do that, and I want to try to improve over here, and you're just ready to go. And yet, no matter where you'd be at on this, this large spectrum and anywhere in between, for every single one of you, for all of us, you need something more than what lies within you. You need something more than personal resolve and discipline or... You need something more than just, well, I need to kick myself out of this rut, or I need to get really organized, or whatever the case may be. You need something more than personal resolve and discipline. And the Bible speaks to us of grace. It's a rich word used in more than one sense throughout the Bible. Uh, grace is used to refer to God's, God's favor towards us, His undeserved favor. And on that note, the, the word grace also often conveys an idea of gift, this is something that God uh, gives to us freely, is grace. And yet there's this other sense as well that's related in, in many ways, and it's the idea of enablement or help, that God gives us his divine enablement or help or his power where we need it. And I'm here really basically just to do one thing this morning, and that is very simply to preach to you the grace of Jesus Christ. I am here to preach to you the gospel because the Christian life runs on grace. Everything that we've been talking about this weekend, it all it runs on and is fueled by the grace of God. In John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read these words from his, from Christ's fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. Grace just piling up, heaped up. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When we use this language, uh, like, like the language of the spiritual disciplines, that language very quickly conveys a degree of effort or work. Maybe you were feeling that in the last session. Maybe you were feeling that last night. And, and we have passages of Scripture, like 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, which tell us this, Discipline yourself 
for the purpose of godliness, that godliness in the Christian life happens down the path of discipline, the spiritual disciplines. And we can hear that. We can hear this language of Scripture and very quickly interpret it in such a way that we actually lose sight of the gospel. We actually lose sight of the grace of the gospel, and yet statements like that, they're written right in the context of the gospel. And so we don't want to misinterpret them. Maybe to offer a parallel, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 9 and 10, Paul spoke about his great commission efforts. Uh, and in some ways, kind of in comparison to the other 12 apostles. And he said this, he said, I am the least of the apostles. But verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, than any of the other apostles. I worked really, really, really hard, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. That was Paul's perspective. And I think it's so important for you and I to understand that the same kind of dynamic, gospel dynamic, is at play with the spiritual disciplines. Sure, you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, but it is the grace of God that produces that in the life of one of his people. And so I want to speak to you here this morning basically about two intersections where we see grace and and the spiritual disciplines coming together, where they meet. Two connection points. Here's the first one. God offers you his grace for the spiritual disciplines. The power for the spiritual disciplines is not in your own strength, but the grace of God. I am not here at all to call you this morning, and I don't think any of the other speakers this weekend have been here to call you or summon you to your own strength and power. All right, you know what you need to do? You need to be really strong and just do this. No, not at all, but to rely on and fall on the grace of God. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about God's grace. Consider with me the duration of God's grace. God's grace endures for us throughout all the successive stages of our salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. From the point of salvation onward all the way into eternity, God's grace defines our salvation. If you're a Christian, it is the grace of God that brought your feet uh, to the starting line of the race. Uh, It's the grace of God that will then help you uh, run that race day by day with endurance. And it is the grace of God that will bring you across the finish line. And we see this in Scripture as we think about this first concept of justification. What is that? Well, justification is God's declaring a sinful person righteous or right before God. And the Bible is very clear that that happens as an act of God's grace. Titus 3 verse 7 mentions this. It mentions being justified by his grace. If you're a Christian, you were saved by the grace of God. And we can talk about that and it's past tense. There was something that happened at a point in time and it was the grace of God. That you were declared righteous by a perfect, holy God. And if that hasn't happened for you, it would certainly be something that that scriptures would point to and say, God would delight to do that for you. God loves to declare people righteous who fall on the work of Christ in faith. God, I am a sinner. I am not righteous. You are. And you died for me on the cross. Save me. 
I think most of us are inclined to think something like this, and it may be very subtle in our hearts. We may not even realize that we're doing it. But we might think this way. Yes, I was saved by the grace of God, but I grow by law. I grow by a lot of hard work. I grow by a lot of effort. I grow by, by sitting down in the chair and putting the, putting the time in. Yes, I was saved by grace, but I am transformed to be more like Jesus by nothing more than my own hard work. And I think we have these very subtle attitudes as well that, you know, my performance in these spiritual disciplines determines God's favor, how much he likes me. And I have good days and I have bad days. God, days where God, I'm really in his favor because I read five chapters today and I prayed for however long. And all of a sudden, we turn from gospel, and we turn to ourselves, and we turn to works, and we throw out grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved. The very verb tense that Paul uses there captures not merely the point of salvation, but its ongoing reality. In other words, it, it could be framed like this, by grace you have been saved. Yes, that point of justification but by grace, you continue to be saved. And by grace, you continue to live out the Christian life from start to finish. It's grace. God's grace is not merely for your justification, but also for uh, another word here, your sanctification. You are sanctified or you are progressively transformed to be more like Jesus by your own strength. No, but by the grace of God. God's grace is needed not just for the point of salvation, but for the entirety of the Christian life. Uh, question for you. All of the New Testament letters, all of them, who were they written to? Well, I mean, you open them up, you read the first couple of verses, they were written to Christians. They were written to churches. Or we might say they were written to justified people, people who had been declared righteous by God and yet whose sanctification, their growth in godliness was like very, very much a work in progress, especially in some of the letters, especially in some of the churches. And I want to show you one of the defining characteristics of each of these letters that was written to Christians. They are grace letters to people who need grace. Did you know that every single one of Paul's New Testament letters is, is literally bookended by grace? Every single one of them. Here are the two bookends that basically frame every one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. He opens this way in one of the first few verses of his letters. He writes and he says, grace to you. And then he goes on and he goes on and he goes on and he gets to the end of the letter and he bookends it with this, grace be with you. Every single one of them. Grace bookends and therefore holds up every single New Testament volume of the gospel. If you think of, of all these New Testament volumes, all these New Testament books as books uh, in a row, and what's on the bookends of all of them holding all of this up, it is the grace of the gospel. And each one of those gospel volumes was written to people who had been justified or declared righteous by God. We were saved. They, they were already saved. Um, I hope that your fingers are feeling fast and nimble this morning because we are going to look at every single one of those. Each one of those bookends so that we might feel the weight of the grace of God 
for the Christian life. And I dare you to keep up, but I don't think that you're going to be able to. One, because I have them all electronically here on my tablet, and you've got to turn to them. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is just so much grace to be traced here that we are going to have to fly. I'm going to try to move quickly, but you try to keep up, or if you just want to give up from the start and listen, that's okay too. We're speaking about grace, so it's okay. Let's start in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes there, he says, To all those in Rome, grace to you. And he writes and he writes and he gets to the end of the book, Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The very end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You need it. Maybe a page over in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He writes to the Corinthians, again, followers of Jesus Christ whose lives are very, very messy. And he opens chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets to the end of the book, chapter 16, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You turn another page to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It gets to the end of the book. Chapter 13, verse 13, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Over one more page in your Bible, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this book of Galatians, Paul tackles this whole idea of being transformed by your own power and your own work. It's the gospel from the start to the end. It is the grace of God. And he comes to the end, chapter 6, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. You must get this. Amen. Truly, may it be so. You go, okay, I get it. All right, I get it. I get it. Do you? Because Paul just keeps hammering this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets to the very end of the letter. Um, after talking about spiritual warfare in chapter 6, we come to verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Do you know what you need, God's people? You need grace. God's grace, the grace of the gospel. You turn over to Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes to the end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and all the faithful brothers of in Christ at Colossae. He is writing to Christians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And he ends, he leaves them with this, chapter 4, verse 18. Grace be with you. I get it, Pastor Nate. We can move on. We can stop. No, we cannot. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are Christians. Grace to you and peace. In the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you think this is a big deal? 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with who? All of you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writes to a young pastor, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Again, he's a fellow Christian. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And at the end of the book, after he has admonished Timothy to fight false teaching and so many other things and pastor a certain way, he says in verse 21 of chapter 6, grace be with you, and actually not just Timothy anymore, grace be with you all. You all need this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy 4, verse 22, the end of the book, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Titus, chapter 1, verse 4. Some of you are like kind of keeping up. I don't know. <laughs> Titus, chapter 1, verse 4, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, this is a brother. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And chapter 3, verse 15, I need to, I need to keep moving really quick and try to lose the rest of you. Grace be with all of you. And Philemon, chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 25. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know what just happened? We just made it through Paul's letters. That means we can stop, right? No. Because <laughs> this isn't just Paul. The writer of Hebrews, we don't even know who he is. Chapter 13, verse 25, grace be with all of you. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2. Peter's going to bookend his letters as well. 1 Peter 1, verse 2, may grace and peace, but Peter changes it up a little bit, be multiplied to you. May it just be, like, let's, let's make this, may it exponentially grow. In the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 12, uh, Peter explains that by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the Christian life. It is a life that is rooted and it stands in grace. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter writes there, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. He directly ties the grace of God to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the end of the book, chapter 3, verse 18, But grow, this is the Christian life, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The Apostle John. Uh, 2 John, chapter 1, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. And we come to the final book of the Bible. We turn our attention now to Revelation, and it starts the same way. Chapter 1, verse 4. John, to who? To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And we turn our attention now to the, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And we don't just go to the last chapter. 
we go literally to the very last verse of the Bible. The final verse. Revelation 22, verse 21. I mean, if you ever, if you want to make an impact, final verse, what's God going to say? God wants this to stick with us. Here's what he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there we are. At the end of Scripture, the grace of God. The entirety of the Christian life runs on grace. The Christian life does not run on your own strength. It runs on the grace of the gospel. You must grasp this. God's grace endures for us through all the successive stages of salvation from start to finish. Our justification, you are saved by grace. You live the Christian life by grace, your sanctification. But it, it doesn't stop there. It extends even to the point of glorification and I think even beyond. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this. It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. And you are looking for this day of glorious grace when Christ stands before you. And you will be like him. I mean, salvation from start to finish is the grace of God. We've considered the duration of grace more or less simply by reading Scripture. It endures through every stage of salvation. And now I want you to consider with me the direction of grace. Um, turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. When it comes to God's grace for the spiritual disciplines, uh, for the everyday Christian life, God sends you his grace from many, many different directions. From what directions does the grace of God come? Well, just to mention a few, there's the grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. And that is seen by what the Holy Spirit is called. Uh, the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit by many names, by many titles. You can probably think of some of those. He's called the Spirit of God. He's called uh, the Spirit of Christ. He's called the Spirit of life. He's called the Spirit of truth. But do you know what else he's called in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29? He's called the spirit of grace. And he dwells within you if you are a child of God. And along similar lines to that title, John chapter 15, 26 and 16, verse 7, refer to the Holy Spirit as the helper. And that's very much the idea of grace, that, that God is the one who helps us. He is the one who enables us. And one of the ways that he has done that is he has placed his spirit inside of us. He has given us the gift of the spirit of God. There's a grace that, there is grace that comes from the Holy Spirit and that is seen by what he's called, but it is also seen by what the Holy Spirit produces. Uh, faithfully engaging in the spiritual disciplines of Bible intake and prayer, as we've been talking about this weekend and, and doing those things with your family and in your home and as you go through life, um, those things require a certain sense of what we might call discipline and self-control. I mean, uh, Joel this morning was talking about hopefully our hearts are so full of the gospel of God's word that it's just kind of happening. And yet there's also this component of like discipline. You know, we think of like maybe getting our act together in some ways. But even that. This self-control, to do that kind of thing, you cannot produce from within. 
It's a fruit produced in the Christian's life by the Holy Spirit of grace. It's a fruit produced in the Christian's life by the helper. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is, the, is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then notice the next item, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is the Spirit of God by His grace that would help us do anything related to spiritual discipline. When it comes to the exercise of these disciplines, there is the grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but God's grace doesn't just come from there. It comes from other directions as well. For example, there's also the grace that comes from the body, from the church, from God's people. It's easy for our practice of spiritual disciplines to be a very, very independent matter, something that we do by ourselves. And I think Joel kind of captured for us that we see it in many different, it is something we do by ourselves. It's also something we do together with our families and with the body. The New Testament consistently calls God's people to something called fellowship, which is something far, far richer than merely socializing and talking about the weather, or what we did, or um, catching up. We fellowship by talking about God and his word together, reading God's word together, praying together, and so on. And the Bible then portrays us growing in spiritual maturity together. Just one example of this from Scripture would be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And Paul writes there to the Ephesian Christians, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, know what comes next, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We grow together, and that is God's grace to us. I mean, you're going to have so many special moments alone with God in your Bible and prayer, but that's not the only realm, that's not the only place this happens. It happens together, and that's God's grace to us. The Bible tells us that two are better than one, and it applies to almost any realm. Also, there is the grace that comes from pain, trouble, and struggle. I want to take two verses that you're probably quite familiar with and let's just fuse them together and think about the implication. The first would be James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where we're told to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the big idea, uh, really, from those verses is that God uses trials to spiritually mature us. But I think if we bring another passage of, of Scripture into play, we, we see how that kind of tends to happen. And that would be a verse I've already mentioned, 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Train yourself for godliness, or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. James 1 says that godliness or spiritual maturity... God uses trials to get us there. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says that we get there by, by the path of the spiritual disciplines. Um, let's think about those two passages together. God often graces us, we might say, with trials to cultivate within us habits 
of grace, whereby we grow in grace and spiritual maturity. Um, I brought my first Bible with me today. Um, I have it here. It's not looking so good. Uh, but my grandparents bought this for me when I was in kindergarten, and they engraved my name on the front of it, what I used to be called, Nathaniel. Please don't call me that. Um, but here it is. And it's, uh, as you can see, it's kind of in rough shape. And to be honest with you, I don't know if that's because I read it so much or, frankly, I just did not take good care of it. But this Bible is really special to me uh, for several reasons. And one of them is this. Around grade five, my world was turned upside down when my parents divorced. I had actually trusted Christ a few years prior to that. And I think I had already uh, try, tried to get in some habits of reading God's word for myself. And that was going okay, but I was mainly doing that because I know, okay, this is, this is what you do. I mean, if you're a Christian, you need to be reading your Bible. And I was challenged about that, and I was trying to do that. And I'm seeing some progress in that, I think. But the pain and trouble and confusion of that event and all that came with it sent me reaching for this particular Bible. It was the Bible I had at the time again and again and again and again and the weeks and years that followed. And it was actually with this Bible in those moments that my faith was really starting to become mine. I had trusted Christ, but I need to walk with God and I need what God has to say for me. And I read in this particular Bible, God's promises to me, many of them for the very, very first time. And maybe some of you, you remember maybe your first time through the Bible and you hit, this verse, and you're like, that's amazing. I've never read that. I had no idea. And that's what happened for me with this Bible. And what I found was God's help and his grace. I grabbed it off the shelf this week and just flipped through Psalms in particular because I had memories of just underlying things in that book. Those who are in pain find themselves looking for God to speak. We, we, sang a song this morning, How Long, O Lord, How Long, and this anticipation of God acting, God, will you do something? And I think when we're struggling and we're in pain and we're going through trials, we're not often just saying, God, would you do something? We're saying, God, would you speak? Help me. What do you have to say about all this? What do you have to say to me? And through the pain of life, we end up reaching for God's words. And he speaks to us. God often uses pain and struggle to make us hungry for the voice of God. And so whatever it is that God puts in your life that sends you reaching for your Bible is God's grace to you. It is his kindness to you. And maybe right now you're in some circumstance, and I can tell you this with confidence, God wants you to reach for his word and read it. Consider with me as well the, I might be making up a word here, but the definiteness of grace. God's sanctifying grace is operative in the life of the believer every single day. Even when you're not necessarily seeking it, it's there. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He said, I am sure, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what we see is God from the, is salvation, it, from the moment that it began in eternity past, it, it moves forward to completion. It's very clear in Romans 8, 28 to 30 or so. God just gives us this chain of events as if they've already happened. 
God's grace has put on its overalls, it's tied up its work boots, it's rolled up its sleeves, and it's gotten to work. And it's not going to stop until the job is done. God's grace is in your life and it's there now. The Christian life runs on grace. God offers you his grace for the spiritual disciplines. And as we leave kind of that, that thought, I leave you with Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Where Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this strong language, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's implying uh, discipline in the Christian life to grow. But then he says this, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will, to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, those are beautiful words highlighting this is God's grace working. But it's not just that God offers you his grace or help for the, for the spiritual disciplines so that you might engage in them. God also offers you his grace through them. And that's our second intersection. God offers you his grace through the spiritual disciplines. God's grace flows to you from the word of his grace and from his throne of grace. Think about it this way with me. I, I think here in Alberta, we know a thing or two about pipelines, right? It's like there's always some pipeline controversy going on in the news. Some pipeline that's funded but not built or not funded or environmentally problematic. But pipelines move commodities such as oil and gas from one location to another. Via the Trans Mountain Pipeline, oil could flow from the Edmonton region. You could think about it flowing all the way from Edmonton out to the BC coast, out to Burnaby, BC. And when it comes to the Christian life, God's grace and help flow to us down a couple different channels, from a couple different places, from his lips and from his throne. Grace flows from God's lips. Acts 20, verse 32. In Acts 20, 32, Paul's saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, and he says to them, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are, who are sanctified. What was Paul referring to there when he talks about the word of his grace? Well, specifically, I think it's probably a reference to the gospel, this, this message of grace. And then generally, it would refer to the word of God, that the word of God is the gospel. That's where we find it. These words, from start to finish, from cover to cover, here's the gospel. The word of his grace, grace flows from his lips. And as we've seen, the Apostle Paul, Paul, I mean, that big section of just let's look at all the bookends, each of those letters started with grace to you, and they ended, grace be with you. So think about this. Imagine that you receive a card from a relative. Maybe it's your birthday. Maybe it's Christmas. And you grab that card from the mail, uh, you tear it open, and you remove the card from the envelope. And you're holding it, and you flip it open. And you read there on the one side of the card, and it says, blessings to you. And that's all it says. That's, that's the, all that's written in this little card. But then sandwiched right in the middle are 10 crisp $100 bills. And you're like, hey, that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, when your relative chose that phrase there, blessings to you, what was he referring to? 
Was he not referring to the treasure sandwiched right there in the card, that $1,000? I mean, he may have meant more than that, but he certainly did not mean anything less than the 10 crisp $100 bills. When the Apostle Paul opens his letters this way, grace to you, what was he referring to? Though he no doubt meant more, he was not referring to anything less than the content of the letter itself. These letters are God's grace to you. And Paul essentially does this. He says, grace to you. May grace come to you. Here is the word of the living God. And then he concludes, may grace be with you. You know what? Why don't you keep the letter for a really long time, forever? Because it's God's grace to you. No sooner has Paul spoken the words grace to you than God's grace begins to flow through the words of the living God, through the pages of Scripture. Grace flows from God's lips. These are grace letters. It's a grace book helping all those who drink from it. However, grace not only flows from God's lips, grace flows from his throne. Turn to Hebrews 4, verse 16, a well-known passage. Um, You and I are needy for so many reasons. We struggle against the world and its influence on us. We struggle within our, our flesh and all that it wants and craves and desires contrary to what God wants. We struggle against the devil and his temptations and his darts and his accusations. We feel the weight of the curse bearing down on us. We feel the brokenness of this world. Everyday life is hard. The Christian life is hard. Growth is hard. And we groan and long for the day when we will see Jesus. And we have here in Hebrews 4, verse 16, these beautiful words. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God invites you to approach his throne and to speak to him. He invites you to address him. And the text in its context is very clear that this has been made possible by the work of Jesus Christ, our mediator, our great high priest. And as you approach that throne, you receive the same favor that that. God's own Son receives. You imagine uh, Jesus Christ the Son approaching God the Father, and there is a welcome. I mean, we, we, we read it, the baptism of Jesus, the, the Father speaks up, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased and whom I delight. And yet as we approach the throne of God, we are received just like that. This is my son. And the the reason we are received like that is because Christ is received like that and everything that is his is ours. He took all of our garbage and gave us that. He took all of our sin and gave us his righteousness and his favor with God. And so when we think about this throne, Christ, Christ, God, God the Father receives us like he would his own son. You are welcome before the throne of God. God says then, let us then with confidence, based on Christ, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God invites you to pray to him and to receive his grace and help. Grace and help that flow from his throne, the type of grace and help that you won't find anywhere else. There's an old song that I've really come to appreciate the words to it's called come my soul with every care and it's a a song about prayer it goes like this 
overcome my soul with every care. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself bids you to pray. He will never turn away. And then this, you are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. You can't make too big of a request to this king. So with my burden, I begin. Lord, remove this load of sin. Let your blood for sinners spilt set my conscience free from guilt. Lord, your rest to me impart. Take possession of my heart. There your blood-bought right maintain and without rival reign. While I'm a pilgrim here, let your love my spirit cheer as my guide, my guard, my friend lead me to my journey's end. And then this, show me what I have to do. Every hour my strength renew, I would have your will, not mine. For it's perfect, good, and kind. What folly it would be to have unlimited access to a king and never ask for his help. I mean, that would be insane here in the earthly realm. And yet that's precisely what you have. You have access to the king of kings and lord of lords, and you should use it. And wear out the carpet that leads to his throne. God, I'm here again. And just like we heard last night, I'm here to lift my soul to you. The Christian life runs on grace. He offer, God offers you his grace through the spiritual disciplines. Grace flows from his lips and from his throne. I want to end here just with one big application. As you approach this whole matter of spiritual disciplines, you're thinking about them. Before your thoughts quickly run to, hey, here's what I'm going to do, and here's how my year is going to be, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to come up with this plan, and I'm going to work really hard, and this year is going to be better than last year. Turn your attention to Christ and the grace of the gospel. And in humility, go to the throne of grace and cry out to God and say, God, I need your grace. I need your grace to read your word this year and not just to read it, as Dave mentioned in the very first summon, the sermon, but to read it with faith. God, I need your, your grace to, to fellowship with you in prayer. God, I need your grace to grow in godliness. This life runs on grace. I can't do this. I can't fight my sin on my own. I can't move forward. And so, God, I look to you for your grace. And that's where I'm starting. God, give me your grace and thank you for it. The Christian life runs on grace. And so I end with the words of the Apostle Paul. Very much with scripture in hand. Grace be with you this year in 2024.